The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. You're making a mess. <laughs> hey. Fine, or I will help you not. I don't want your help. I want my lamp back. I'm going to need it to get out of this slimy mud hole. Mud hole? Slimy? My home this is! Aren't you letting me have it? Run along, little fellow. We got a lot of work to do. No, stay and help you, I will. Find your friend. I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for a podcast. Mm, podcast? Dark Times. You seek the Dark Times podcast. Welcome, Sam, to the sleepiest edition of the Dark Times podcast. <laughs> we are feeling the time change today. This is... <laughs> It's five. It's five p.m. This is the sleepy edition. Was not, we got to trademark that before. Um, That's actually from the morning edition NPR news. Oh, okay. <laughs> so See, no. I don't work. I don't. I don't wake up that early. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, hello, I'm Stephen. I'm Sam. As always, this is the Dark Times. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's get right back into last episode's We've got, feedback. Yes, a few we got people a little reached feedback out. from last episode. I transcribed best as I could. So I, I, I carved through the about two dozen emails of people telling us how much they, they hate us and how they're, they're, they're threatening violence yeah, against us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, I got these other these other messages out, out of the out of the bunch. Yeah, I, I, you should see the amount of this podcast I have to cut out of us just crying. Oh, it's horrible. We are we we're we actually we're considering going into witness protection. <laughs> witness protection for podcast protection program. <laughs> awful, awful. Um, Stephen, friend of the show, little literalist, uh, reminds us that only devices can be droidified. Weapons sadly cannot. And the DCs to notice mines are based on the object size, which okay. is on the object statistics page. Um, yeah, I'm feeling justified. From last episode, because I was I was you were skeptical iffy on the snare pistol. I was, I was skeptical of the snare pistol, and I was pretty sure the DC's notice mines are just those of whatever object size they are. I think so, most of them are tiny. So you just need a mechanics check to set a mine. It's a mechanics check to set a mine. What's and, the DC for that? Uh, why do you Why do you ask these? I'm just so. No, I'm the question is like, why am I rolling a check if it's just if it if no no no? There, there's Sam setting a mine is a full round action that does not require a mechanics check. Really? It says right here. Okay. You're thinking of explosives. Oh. There's explosives, which mines are not technically a part of, like um, debt packs and stuff like yeah. that. You do set a mechanics, you, you make a mechanics check for those to determine how much damage they're going to do upon detonation. Okay. Um, okay. We could probably, actually, it'd be fun to go into that. Do an explosive explosive talk. Boomy. Kind of draw the lines between grenades, mines, explosives. I yeah. think that'd be a good episode. The different flavors of explosives. Yeah, what what different options are out there for explosives? Let us know if you want to hear more about that because I think that that sounds probably do for that. sure. Considering yeah. I I get them fucking confused yeah. all the time. Apparently, <laughs> but yeah, mines you just throw them right down. DC to notice mines are based on the object size, as we've just discussed. Most of them are tiny. There's a couple diminutive ones, uh, even a couple small ones. Actually, funny enough, um, and you take a minus five penalty to your perception check to notice them. Friend of the show, Suyoshi Ketsu. Uh, reminds us that snare pistol does not allow usage to the bone crusher fee on enemies grappled by the snare. So Boulder, our build that we talked about last week mm-hmm. uh, for the bounty, 
can only put enemies down minus four instead of minus five in the condition track. Hey, I mean, oh well. Like, <laughs> oh no, oh no, minus four. No, it's still that, that, pretty great. That's well, the minus ten step. You're moving half your speed. Like well, you're hurting. considering also that the enemy that he puts down the condition track still can't talk till the end of his next turn. Yep. So he does have two rounds to get you out and carry you off like some weird little satchel. <laughs> I, I, I love, maybe we'll talk more about Boulder. Later, we will talk yeah, more about Boulder yeah, later. There's the, Oh my God. Such a uh, funny Iro mentions that, uh, that he, that they use uh, unleashed abilities for players without the feet at the expense of a dark side point, which I really like. I saw that. And I, I thought that was a great idea too. I'd love, I, I might, Bring that into a future adventure. You can already you gain a dark side point to do things like reroll attack rolls, even gain uh, access to some dark side force powers. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I like that as another cool temptation of the dark side thing. Seriously, I probably wouldn't run it in something like Dawn of Defiance, where no. you can't regain, you can't lose dark side points. No, uh, but that's one of those things where yeah, we've talked about in the past how dark side points are like kind of. Oh, easy to get rid of. Yeah. In, in system in kind universe. Of. Like, I mean, depending on how you're running it, like I think rules is written. You can spend a force point and just think about what you've done and yeah. then it's gone, um, which is kind of meh, you kind know, of meh. I think there's, I mean, we talked about it in pretty depth. Was that like episode eight or something? Yeah. Yeah. Something it was pretty yeah. early on. Um, also everyone, a lot of people pointed out the SAG edition FAQ is very helpful. Love that one for, um, if you can't, if you don't have a podcast host like me or Steven at, at your beck and call, <laughs> then you can go to the SAG edition FAQ. A lot of it's transcribed on the wiki. Now we However, are at your guys's beck and call, by the way, we are at your beck and call. However, some of the things from the old FAQs on the old forums are lost the time, sadly. Um, but the good best chunk of it's on, on this pussy weekend. And actually we did find what we were talking about last week, how, Sam wanted to, well, I don't know. What did you want to do this? Bring the damage die of martial arts. I think uh, I thought D20. that martial arts three for Yuzum should have been two for should have been D 20. Yeah. was really fun to think of. It's fun, but no, <laughs> the, well, let's read what it says. I, I pulled the certain. I know. I know what it says. It, it says, what is the damage dealt by a Yuzum with the martial arts three feet? What comes their D 12s? And the answer is the damage should probably cap at D 12. The benefit being that the Yuzum get there a feet earlier than everyone else. The keyword here is probably. Yeah, um, probably is the bane of uh, every game master's existence because it means you have to make a decision. My decision is that there should never be a D20 hit die ever. Math-wise, that's just no thank you. You would rather increase it to 2D12? Yes, absolutely. I think that's far more sensible. That's fair. I think that is is absolutely... Why why else do you think... Do you think D20 hit dies would be more common? In, in D20-based systems, if, if that was advisable? No, but I think because it's not common that it's fun. <laughs> that I- <laughs> Another option is that it is it is fun. It's ridiculous is what it is, which is, you it. know, a, a type of fun, I guess. Which is, a Star Wars thrives on ridiculous fun, Stephen. <laughs> but yeah, make it 2D12 if, if is what I'm saying. Another thing, the Order 66 podcast, they put like three whole episodes into this issue alone. <laughs> This was in back in like 2009. People really cared about this problem in particular. They just said that you don't increase your damage die for martial arts three, but you still get that plus one dodge bonus to your reflex defense. So it's a diminishing return. The payoff being that you got there earlier than anyone else did. Um, so consider that for an option at your table as well. I say make it 2d12. Sam, I think is insisting you make it 1d20. I'm, I don't think that's a good idea. The FAQ does not say it increases by a dice. It just says it caps at 1d12. It says so, it should probably cap at d12, and I yeah. happen to agree it probably But you're agreeing should. and also saying you should 
for martial arts three, you should just add another dice. Sure, two d twelve. Why not three d twelve? If I have Teres Kasai, why not? Sense. Obviously, you've invested so much in martial arts <laughs> at this point that yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Um, one more thing. Uh, we we talked about respects last episode. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I believe. Yeah. Um, respects should always be at the GM, GM's discretion. Oh yeah, I, did we we emphasize that right? We didn't like, say it. Okay. But however, I mean, that's implicit. Someone brought it up that we yeah. can't, you shouldn't be able to respect wealth. Obviously, yeah, that's yes. Um, Someone else brought up that droids can respect whenever they can do. Yeah, that was too, I know checks. for sure. Yeah, uh, with enough credits, your droid can actually fully respect pretty well. Um, but but you should not allow droids to respect into wealth because that doesn't make fucking sense. What if they like like retool themselves into like a crypto a miner? miner? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we've been on the same page for that. That's really funny. Crypto D2? Crypto D2. Yeah. Now, Star Wars would have been a better movie if R2 was mining Bitcoin the whole time. <laughs> How do you know he's not? <laughs> How do you think that droid functions? <laughs> Let's talk about leveling up, Steven. Yeah, we talked about level one. Yeah, a, a couple people, episodes ago. A lot of people want us to talk about level two. Now that we've talked about level one, yeah, yeah, uh, we've we've talked about leveling up here and there before. Uh, my favorite guide on the subject is a little page called Leveling Up One Hundred and One on the uh, on the Swissy Wiki. If you look at the top of the page, it says you know created by a Wiki a user known as Zenith Sloth. Who knows what that guy's up to these days? What inspired you to make this page? What inspired me to make this damn page, Sam, is that vital information about this system is spread out across several sources. The wiki does a pretty good job of remedying the situation, but I saw a need, a hole, if you will, uh, that my players kept asking for. They were like, gosh, Steven, there's no centralized guide for leveling up my character. This was back when I would tell you guys you leveled up and there'd be groans for the whole table because now you have to wade through all these player options for a process you barely understand. About the time I made this guide was about the time those groans were silenced. Um, I have a nice step-by-step method here of leveling up a character, uh, and it's also been improved by several other users over the years as, as people have came in and you know done wiki things. There's also a quite lively discussion in the comment section on this page. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but people had a lot of things to say about this page. Um, step one, shall we just... Run Go right for it. Yeah, right. absolutely. Take the lead. Step one, roll your HP increase. This is my favorite thing to do. I don't really know why. Probably because I have I like gambling a little bit. It's yeah. It's kind of like gambling, I guess. For sure. Slots. Um, you roll a hit die based on your class. Uh, for example, Jedi and soldiers have a D10 hit die. And then you add your constitution modifier, and that value is added to your total HP. Simple stuff. Um, there's the alternative Dawn of Defiance method, which I think... We, use we did talk about now. yeah we talked about that last episode because someone asked it's slightly more than the average it's a lot more forgiving yeah uh, that's for sure and definitely a good fit for a heroic campaign when you don't want to think about it too much nobles and scoundrels get four hit points plus their constitution modifier scouts get five plus their con jedi soldiers get seven plus their con uh those of you who know dice know that that's of course a bit above average and we think that that's great um should be noted of course, this is always the exception. Droid heroes do not add their con score to HP increases because they don't have one, Sam. Yeah, and it sucks. <laughs> Unless you take independent droid at fourth level. Gives you a D12 case, hit die. D12 hit die is really good. Which only elite trooper has and maybe one other. God, I always hate. I hate absolutes, Sam. I hate dealing in absolutes. Yeah. Someone's always going to tell me. Because only a Sith deals an absolute. Oh, only a Sith deals an absolute. And also, I don't know why you keep trying to j- offer information you're not 100% on. Well, isn't that what the show's about? <laughs> Don't you do that all the time, too? Yeah, but then I ask you if I'm right or not. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. I know for a fact, though, that Independent Droid is the earliest you can get a D12 hit die. Damn right. And that you can fucking take home to your mama. <laughs> Heard it here first. Take it home to your mama. Dark take time it home to your first. mama. <laughs> Step two. Increase your base attack bonus, your BAB, a vital stat that goes into the calculation of all your different attacks. These increase differently depending on your class, of course. Uh, Jedi and Soldier have a BAB equal to their class level. All other classes have a BAB equal to roughly three quarters and their class level rounded down. Just look at the chart on the class page and you'll see. Yeah, the chart makes see. it more more easy to understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, for example, a noble level one has a BAB of plus zero, level two, plus one. Step three. Getting, we're getting, we're going through it. We're having fun. So I'm really sleepy, guys. Okay. It's okay, buddy. <laughs> All defenses increase by one each time you level up. That's because your level is a factor in your defense calculation. Class bonuses to defense never change. Unless, unless you multi-class in which you take the highest def- class bonuses to your defenses. Uh, you do not stack them or add them. So, for example, if I took, I believe, um, scoundrels got plus two to reflex. Mm-hmm. And then nobles got plus two to will. Yep. And I take those, I get both of those. Yes, indeed. Step four, you increase your skill bonuses, just like your defenses. One, well... Not quite like your, your defenses. How one half your level is a factor in calculating your skill bonuses. Uh, this means your skills will increase by plus one each time you reach an even character level. Step five: feats and talents. Here we are. This is where shit gets. We're in, we're in what I like to call the weird zone. Okay, when your class level is even, and remember class level—that's your levels in scout, scoundrel, etc. When your class level's even, you gain a bonus feat. We've talked about bonus feats. There are a special limited list of feats specific to your class. When your class level is odd, you may select a talent that you meet all prerequisites for. Keep in mind your class, occasionally your species. Determine which talent trees you have access to. Droids are a big one. Um, shards are kind of another niche one where if you're a shard Jedi, you have access to the Iron Knight talent tree. Or maybe just, oh no, any shard force user, really. Yeah. Anyone with the force sensitivity feat and happens to be a sentient rock. And then every third character level, now your character level is the sum of your class levels. If you're Scout 5 and only level 5, then your character level is 5. If you're Scout 5, Noble 3, then your character level is 8. Every third character level, you may select any feat which you may meet the prerequisites for. Uh, Sam, how long were we playing our first campaign before I realized I was giving you guys too many feats? Um, You guys were getting a general feat every odd level. It was probably to like level six or seven. I Maybe think. even a bit longer than that. Well, I know, but the thing is, I know when I made my second character, who was a level seven character, uh, that yes. you told me to make sure that we get those extra feats. Yes. Boy. Uh, yeah, it's it's great that you made this page for that reason, yep. because it's every third level, not every odd level. Nope. So three, six, nine. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah, those, are, the, those are threes. Those, those, are, are, those threes. are factors of three. <laughs> for sure, for sure. What's that? Twelve. Twelve. Ooh, even. and oh. then, hey, watch this. Fifteen. Fifteen. <laughs> Step six, ability score increases. These are, I think these are forgotten fairly often. Maybe not. I don't know. Four, eight, twelve, and sixteen. You get a plus one to any two stats. That's correct. Um, you cannot increase a single score by two. Don't buy. I've had players ask me. They're like, can I, can I, can I please, please increase my con by two? But it would put my, but it would put my dexterity up to twenty at level six. No, 
Steven, don't hit your players. Uh, sorry, I just you got to keep them in line. <laughs> unless you unless you discuss that at session zero. <laughs> I'd love that session zero. It's okay. just beat I, the shit out of your. <laughs> no, no session zero. You're like, hey, listen, we're gonna play this game. However, at any point in the campaign, I can slap each of you once. I'm gonna strike you. I, I get to strike <laughs> if you, you once anger per me session. Enough, no, no, once per session. Once per to, once in the campaign oh, total. That's weak shit. <laughs> Steven. <laughs> My ring hand too, you know, you know, like open palm, like across the face with my prosthetic, my cybernetic hand. Bonk. That's Man. that's a hell of a bit. Yeah, that's that's that, rough. That, that's that's dark for us. The dark times. Even. Wow. What well, else is there? I'm leveling up. Well, um, was that the last step? That was the last step. Okay. Um, there's also things to consider. These are also among things we were asked to discuss for our level two episode. Multiclassing. Well, gosh, hosh, bagosh, Sam. Um, multiclassing is the backbone of the system. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it is the easiest multiclassing I've ever seen in a tabletop system. I is what you took the words right out of my mouth. I've not found another system where multiclassing was as easy as it was here, nor encouraged as it is here. Um, so it allows you to imagine any character really conceivable that you could play in star Wars and then some, (laughs) as you've seen in any of our build bounties that we've done. Exactly. We've gotten some crazy stuff. I mean, even just look at this last week, the wide birth of characters available. Um, the, the magic of, of why that's possible is because multiclassing when you multiclass, say you're a level three soldier and you want to take your fourth level in noble. When you choose to do this, you gain the class defense bonuses. The class skills are added to the available list of skills. You can, in and a first level talent for that class and one starting feat of your choosing just one starting feat of your choosing say perhaps you have the intelligence score to qualify you take linguist when you take your uh, first level of noble that's that's your one that's your one yeah yeah. maybe it's weapon proficiency pistols if you don't have that already i think everyone has every every class yeah um maybe noble wasn't the best example oh does jedi get that yeah Pistols? Oh, maybe no, not. dude. Maybe not. I think it's simple and lightsabers. I That's think it. you're right. I think you're right. Oh yeah, no, they totally wouldn't. Um, you're right. Just lightsabers and simple. Good there call. There you go. Good call. So if you're a Jedi, you're multiclassing the noble. Take that weapon. For- Get that pistol, baby. <laughs> Get pistols. Who needs linguists? You don't need to speak languages. You got a pistol now. <laughs> Common example, also. I mean, like nine times out of ten, someone dipping soldier to pick up either like rifle proficiency or probably even more often armor proficiency. Absolutely. Uh, very, very common, very encouraged. Even um, what I like to do a lot is start and scout because I can train in a plethora of skills and have access to survival, which no other class has get some pretty decent weapon proficiency starting out too. And then probably go on from either soldier or noble from there or scoundrel or scoundrel. Really? You can go anywhere from scout. That's really my favorite thing about it. Scout. I, I think back in the day, the, like the most munchkin Jedi possible was level one scout. And then the rest Jedi, because then because Jedi have no skills for yeah. Jedi have oh, fucking Jedi beans for skills. awful skills. Yeah. And then you can take evasion as a scout as a uh, scout first level. There you go. There you, go. you are now you are a fucking hard to hit. Jedi. You're a mess. That's great. That's great. And um, then, yeah, oh yes. And then the other uh, large uh, terrestrial mammal in the room is uh, prestige classes. Uh, prestige classes generally, with notable exceptions, we know we all know the exceptions: independent droid, force disciple, Jedi master, Sith lord. Most of these start after your seventh level, after your seventh level, meaning your eighth level. Uh, these open up kind of a whole world into more specific classing for your characters. We're talking things like 
ace pilot, bounty hunter, crime lord, elite trooper. Elite trooper is really good if you like beating face. Gunslinger. Um, gunslinger. Gunslinger even. Yeah. Officer. Uh, the, the ever popular corporate agent. Master privateer. Master privateer. The list goes on and on, folks, and you're more than likely familiar with a lot of these. Kind of like what we said in response to that fan mail last week. The the thoughtful character, the veteran player, um, thoughtful player, the veteran player, um, kind of has an idea for their prestige class ahead of time. If at all, you can play soldier 1 to 20 and be awesome, have a fucking great time. Um, you won't miss out on anything, really, by, by doing that. I mean, you'll... You... The prestige classes are specialization. That's what Precisely. it is. Precisely, you are you are investing quite heavily in a in a very specific method of play for each of these prestige classes. Is um, a level twenty soldier going to be better than a a level one ace pilot in piloting? <laughs> Probably not. But it's one of those things where they're good all around as a soldier. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about it also last week. Um, newer players. Probably shouldn't worry about a prestige class. Like when you first come into the system, you're going to be sweating the small stuff already. You, I wouldn't even mention it until maybe level four. Or five. That's what I said. Like it's four or five is when we sit down and have the prestige class conversation. Be like, hey, a lot of people plan ahead for which these they want. Take a look at this list. Find one you when like. A level eight scoundrel loves somebody very much. He <laughs> wants to take a level in charlatan. <laughs> That was good. Thank you. That was really, really you good. You sit down, you have the, the bots and the bees talk with your with your players. And that's when I, of course, like I already said, when when we bring in the respec conversation. Because um, it's possible that a player stumbles their way into a perfect qualification for a prestige class. Uh, but or not always or uh, if you are me and you play a one-shot that you think isn't going to last more than two sessions and you're not going to level up during, you will make a, cla- uh, a character that is completely multi-class and does not qualify for any prestige class upon level eight, which is possible. It happens. It is. It is. What are you alluding to exactly? That was Jed Losh. Oh yeah, Jed Losh. He had like it was. He was two levels uh, soldier, two levels scout, oh, two levels right. scoundrel. Like he was, was a fruit salad. He was a fruit salad. Yeah. Of of gambling. Cool, cool character though. Great character. Um, Stephen. Now, we talked about what players need to know about leveling up. What do GMs need to keep in mind when their players level up? That's a great question, Sam. GMs, every time your party levels up, you've got some work to do. Your encounter design, whatever you're doing, has to change. It has to become more challenging. The challenges you set in front of your players have to occur at a greater scale. However, there's nothing wrong with giving your players that sort of moment of, oh, we kick ass. Oh, yeah, no. Absolutely. Something that I realized maybe a little bit too late. Um, everyone wants to shred through legions of stormtroopers, like at every level. Yeah. Like when you're level 10, let's say level 10 characters are, are ripping shit where they're chasing down the big bad. Be sure to give them a few moments of just pure, like absolutely just unf- yeah, yeah. unfiltered gratification of just mowing down stormtroopers and or battle droids or rebel scum. Whatever toots your horn. Yeah. Um, the My favorite tool to do this, and I'm sure many of you are already aware of it, is squads. Swissy has a few ways to make a bigger problem out of smaller threats. Uh, squads are among them. Uh, you can make a squad of any character you choose. It's easy. It's much like a template. You increase the character size by one category and apply the relevant modifiers because this is going to count as a single cohesive unit of many dudes. You double that character's hit points. You increase the character's damage threshold by 10, 
Give them a plus four to all attack rolls as the members of the squad are considered to be aiding one another. And you increase the CL by plus two. Bingo. Your CL4 MOOC has now become a CL6 MOOC squad. Uh, Squads also have a few special traits. All melee attacks made by the squad are considered melee area attacks. Very rare qualification, by the way. That affects all squares within the squad's reach. So think when they make a melee attack, whether it's a punch, baton, vibrosword, anything like that, every square in their reach is going to get a melee area attack. So that's full damage on hit, half damage on miss. Evasion's going to play a role here since now it's an area attack, even though it's happening at melee range. Uh, squads can also choose to not affect targets with their attacks, just so you know. All ranged attacks by a squad are considered to have a one square splash. If the squad's weapon already has a splash effect, increase the splash radius by one square. Wow, that's not bad. And just a quick reminder as to what splash is. Splash is when you choose a target, and if your roll exceeds the reflex defense, it deals full damage and half damage if it misses. You also compare that same roll to the attack roll of every adjacent target to the primary target. What did I say? You said attack roll. Shit. Also compare your attack roll against the reflex defense of every target adjacent to your primary target. These adjacent targets take half damage if the attack hits and no damage if the attack misses. Pretty fucking sweet. A squad can choose not to affect allies with its attacks, as I said above. Area attacks deal plus two dice of damage against a squad. Keep that in mind with grenades and other area attacks. Squads can't be grappled or grabbed. Squads can make attacks opportunity against creatures that provoke them, though these are not considered area attacks. I like squads as a concept because you talked about how they have plus four to attacks because each member of the squad is aiding another. Yes, indeed. So when a squad unit is put down the condition track, it's like taking out individual members of the unit. That's absolutely how you should flavor it, 100%. Talking, let's talk about when you make an encounter and you're using non... You know, okay, level one character is going to fight a bunch of stormtroopers. Stormtrooper recruits uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Those are CL0. When you get higher levels... Is a good idea changing up uh, encounters by adding non-enemy elements to the encounters, like quicksand or gas or something 100%. like that? I mean, yeah, this is this is the cornerstone of the encounter design checklist that we discussed episode three. three. Um, as your players level up, as things as they require more challenges, you're not only going to need to throw more difficult challenges at them, you're going to need to throw a more diverse range of challenges at them, and Swamp gas, insect swarm, um, radiation, fire, vacuum, vacuum, um, unknown regions, as I always tout, has just so many example hazards, as well as great rules for creating your own. And all the best Star Wars scenes have an, a non enemy element there to make something dangerous for them. Um, trash compactor, trash compactor, battle of the heroes on Mustafar between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Pay attention to that set piece. Like, they're climbing on, like... Oh, that's insane. Chunks that are slowly melting into, like, this big lava river. Like, holy shit, absolutely. They jumping on droids that are supposed to be gathering lava for reasons. Would that attack be... Would that attack... Would that battle be half as interesting if it was in just a big blank room? Like, a 10 square by 10 square metal room? Absolutely not, because there'd be less stakes. Exactly. That's what it is. And that's... You said stake. Stake is the... Stakes is the magic word of the day, folks. Sam said it. Something that, that I've noticed a lot in storytelling that I've, that I've heard is, is a good thing to do. And Big stakes don't always make for a great story, right? They don't always make for a tense element. If players have to do something to save the world that they're on, but they have no connection to it, then those big stakes can be meaningless. 
can feel hollow. The best kinds of stakes are ambiguous outcomes, like the ambiguity of fighting over a big lava river. Like you don't know what's going to happen when I was five years old or whatever, uh, seven years old when Revenge of the Sith came out and I was sitting in the theater, I was, I didn't fucking know what was going to happen. Was Obi-Wan going to fall in the lava? Was Anakin going to fall in the lava? Shit, man. That's fair. No, that's fair. That's absolutely. Uh, yeah. That These non-enemy sense. elements really add to that kind of ambiguity. Like you, especially if they're unpredictable, like a big animal, maybe a rancor comes charging in halfway between the fight. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah. You finally track down the bounty hunter. That's been haunting the party on a remote jungle world. Duking it out among some crazy leaves, maybe some quicksand, and suddenly Rancor. Totally. And how the players uh, handle that, how handle the Rancor and the complexity of the fight really changes, makes it feel more uh, memorable to players. Seriously. Nothing makes them more craving more than the dynamic encounters. Everyone's going to remember the encounter that suddenly had a Rancor pop up out of nowhere. Absolutely. Uh, Steven, let's talk about starting campaigns at higher levels. Oh, we, we yes. We cover this slightly. Just a bit. A little bit, but I was just to reiterate. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Not everyone wants to start a campaign at level one, especially when you've done that a few times. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Even though we've talked about how SAG Edition has uh, just a variety of things you can do at level one, sometimes you want to get into more. I, I think of it more as from a GM standpoint. There aren't a lot of CL0 and one encounters you can make. No. That's a very finite only a handful of cantina starts that you can run before you're like, all right, well, maybe maybe we need to start a little higher. Maybe we need to start in in media ray in the middle and the full swing of the story. Something like that. Um, not to mention, I, I feel like a lot of folks probably play this way where you start a campaign, get to level one, maybe get to level two. Pitters out a few months down the line, start it up again. Level one, level two, bunk. Uh, we've all seen that. Not us though, Sam. We, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 we for have. Sure. You know, we have so many, sure. you know. We have to level three at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this is something great, especially if the whole party is craving a higher power level, which honestly they probably are. Um, level five is a great place to start. You have three talents. You already kind of have an interplay with those. Absolutely, that's one of those things where if you have a sort of idea of what you want your build to be, yeah, then level five is a good place to see if that works. Hundred percent. Um, and you know, when you make these higher level characters, when you start a campaign at these higher levels, make sure you understand like what a higher level character of that caliber looks like in star Wars. Level five was the example we gave level five characters. CL five, uh, NPCs and, and Swissy are C3PO, Bib Fortuna, major domo for like the, the biggest, baddest slug on Tatooine. So that's, that's some clout there. You know, he's a, yeah, he's like only, a BC level guy, but he's you only know, CL five. Uh, hey, you know, he's got, he's got his own weight to swing around. Bib Fortuna is no, not a nobody. C3PO is not a nobody. No matter what R2 says. <laughs> R2 can't keep him down. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so yeah, consider that as well. When you make your, your level five, level six, level eight character, not level seven though. So when handling, Character creation at higher levels, credits, hit points. Yeah, so I haven't done a lot of research into this as to what is good, what works well, what's fair. But what I have been running with no complaints and no problems so far is I take the average of the starting credits roll for whatever class they're choosing, and they get that for each level. Say they are Noble 5, they'll get the average, they'll roll their starting credits as normal, and then for levels 2 through 5, They'll get the average of that same role for the whole, for every level. Some people do max. You can just do max all the way through. That works well too. 
the implication is that they're going to be spending that credits on equipment. Yes. Equipment for the yes. Credits. And that they, since they've already been so far along their journey, they have this amount of cash just on their person. What do you wealth. do for, for starting equipment for characters licenses? Yeah. That's like highly contextual for the campaign. Yeah, of course, of course. And even the character. I mean, someone yeah. might have a reason to access military grade equipment with or without a license. I usually say like a soldier starting out, you'll probably be able to get some sort of military background in there. Absolutely. Especially a higher level soldier. hundred percent. It's hard to imagine a higher level soldier that doesn't have some sort of military service, either as a mercenary or a rebel agent or something like that. Um, he's the guy I'd probably let get a military grade weapon or two. Um, as far as like the, the nobles Senator, maybe they can get some, well, the holdout stuff. The holdout pistol is, is illegal. That's true. And is the perfect companion for an aspirational Senator. Absolutely. Cause you can defend yourself against anybody with that thing. But only once. <laughs> yeah. As far as licensing and starting equipment, you're going to have to get, take a good hard look as to what game you're playing, what sort of characters you have, and, and just make your best guess from there. Generally, you can't go wrong with doing like restricted and below or licensed and below. I feel like that's always going to be fine. Don't let someone start the game with like a DX9 disruptor rifle <laughs> or something like that. Unless they're starting at level eight or 10 or something unless, like yeah, that. Unless they're like level 10 plus and they're a famed assassin, then yeah, maybe they bounty have, hunter. Bounty, yeah, bounty hunter. Well, that's not a bounty hunting weapon. Let's be honest. Bring the one that in. turns its target to ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Sam. The ashes still have the DNA <laughs> of my target. It's fine. <laughs> no, that weapon's for stone cold murder. Yeah. Make your best call. Think hard about it. Do what makes sense. Um, if your player gets in your face and gets whiny about not getting the super ultra mega quad rocket launcher, then maybe they shouldn't have it in the first place. Oh, for sure. <laughs> You, you mentioned hit dice as well. I did mention hit dice. You, yes. uh, probably we kind of covered it a little bit. Yeah, go back to those methods we discussed earlier. Do average of the die or do the Don defines method. Um, I don't. I don't think it would matter all that much. I mean, it's going to make the difference of ten to fifteen hit points in the Absolutely. end, which could make the difference between life or death. But if you've lost a character because you rolled low on hit die every level, please write in because maybe Con shouldn't have been your dumpster, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I've turned around when I first started playing Salutation, I was like Khan's a dumb stat, but now I'm like Khan is the stat you need to keep. Don't do not if you turn your back on Khan, he will stab you in the back. Like do not. When you consider that Khan is the ability score that ultimately factors in damage threshold, it's and hard your health to, and your health. It's hard to leave by the wayside. Yeah, you still do it. I, I do it every time, baby. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah, what's up? How do higher level characters affect an adventure as a whole? If I'm starting at level five Jedi, I'm yeah. not. I'm not a Jedi Knight. No, you're I? not. Well, I mean, like, okay, so the, the, that's that's complicated. Rules is written. You don't actually make your own lightsaber until you have seven levels in Jedi. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Or no, until, sorry, until you're over seventh level and have levels in Jedi. When when you're a Jedi, let's say your Clone Wars campaign, when you're a level five Jedi, you're, you're like Obi-Wan in Phantom Menace, I think. You're like a Padawan who is... Pretty yeah. much all but officially crossed over the threshold into Absolutely. a Jedi Knight. Like, yeah. 100%. Do I have a question. Yeah, what's up? Is there a situation in Star Wars where we've seen... Do Padawans get their master's lightsaber? Or do so, they have lightsabers they give out to Padawans? Or what's the deal there? I So, we know from, like, the Clone Wars show that, like, during the Clone Wars, Jedi younglings were constructing lightsabers. Oh, yeah! And using them. Wait, yeah! Yeah. Wait. <laughs> So I think the contrivance, it's not even really a contrivance. I mean, it's in the core rulebook. 
where it explicitly states that it's your Jedi Master's lightsaber, I think that's just something they factored in because they assumed most people would be playing in like a Dark Times Rebellion yeah, era. Yeah, of course, of course. In Clone Wars, that's the lightsaber they made. We know that younglings as young as like fucking seven or something absolutely are making lightsabers and using them on their own. So that's that's ultimately something as you as a GM would have to yeah. consider. Are is your character going to have a lightsaber they made when they were seven or something like that? That's fine. Yeah. I think the implication of the lightsaber construction of after seventh level Mm -hmm. implies that it's, since it's something you've handcrafted, you have a better connection to the force through it and you deal more damage and stuff like that. Even if it is a clone wars campaign. And even if the character maybe already made their lightsaber off screen, they're absolutely making another one. Once they cross that level seven threshold, that is a big story event. That is kind of, they're maturing into a full-fledged user of the And force. you as a GM should find a way, whether it be a second lightsaber for like a Shoto or something yep, like that, yep. or whether it be they just lost their lightsaber to a big bad or a Break that hunter. shit. Break it. Breaking it's always fun. I love breaking oh, lightsabers. Man. It's so much fun. I feel as like an seen asshole. In, in Jedi Fallen Order, like the loss Seriously. of a lightsaber is really important. That's uh, Fallen Order uh, I was going to bring up because it's, it's actually one of my favorite examples of how a Star Wars story handles kind of the making and remaking of a lightsaber. Cal Kestis literally has a like torn fragment of his lightsaber and as he rebuilds his connection to the Force he rebuilds that lightsaber until it's something of his own. And that's beautiful, poetic and would fit right into any Swissy campaign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times podcast. Yes. Steve, we have some stuff to say. We have some stuff to say. Doug, Eschatonia, our first patron, voluntarily changed his tier from 5 to $10. He reached out. He said, I like how you guys are doing it. I want to give you more money. Here's 10 bucks a month. No, I have to brag right here because he did so, say he li- he loved the production value of the Yeah, show. he said the production quality was through the roof, I think was his wording. Maybe. And boy, does that make my the, the five ish hours a week I put into this show worthwhile. And the, you know, for those who, who still don't know, it's all Sam. You know, I'm yeah. I'm I'm the pretty face. In fact, Steven goes out of his way to actively hinder my creative process. That isn't true. I'm just a bit of a scatterbrain. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but yeah, I I'm glad, you know, I, I out of my pocket I've bought the microphones we use and the and the stands we use and stuff like that. And Steven has so graciously given me access to a copy of Adobe Audition that really absolutely helps me kind of I you know I've done a lot of learning making the show on you've, you've like learned that. quickly I've I mean even as your co-host you've you've learned at an exponential rate it's impressive so thank you so much Doug the you know the money that goes to the Patreon does benefit the show yeah, it goes to, right to our hosting fees absolutely it goes yep. straight to our hosting fees and anything over that we're you know it's going to go towards better equipment or just compensating for the time that I put into this show. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we can't really give Sam much for, for their efforts. I, I bought Sam lunch a couple of times and I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, keep, keep Sam happy and healthy, uh, by, by getting on our Patreon. Uh, Daniel gave us a five star rating on Spotify. Thank you so much. That helps out the show, uh, immensely. We really appreciate that. If you've rated the show five stars on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere that accepts ratings or anything please, like that. Please, please, please. We love it when reviews get written about the show. It's great. Yeah. Um, just going to put it out there. We are a five-star Star Wars podcast, and not everyone can say that. Not everyone can <laughs> say that. Indeed. Um, so if you agree with that statement or if you think it's vastly wrong, then review us. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sue dropped a dollar on our Patreon. Uh, immediately unsubscribed. Just one assumed to 
vote for our uh, our build showcase. That's perfectly fine. You guys are allowed to do that. We can't stop you. Ultimately, this is a community podcast. Yes. And no matter what, we appreciate it. Always. Any contribution you guys can give to us at all, it, it really sends the message that you appreciate what we're doing and that you care about the podcast. Um, that alone makes it all worth it. Don't uh, forget to email us, darktimessse at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, at darktimessse. Instagram, same handle. Um, I haven't put anything on there yet. Yeah, I was like, I just, Sam reached out and was like, yeah, I made an Instagram. I'm like, why? I made an Instagram just so that we have the Instagram. You okay. know? It's not like, cool. it's just to keep someone else from having it. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, the Patreon's in the description. What else can I say? Honestly? What else can we say? Other than thank you again for listening. Absolutely. Let's get back to it. Get right into it. All right, Sam, you wanted to do something special for the second half. Yes, um, we're going to talk about our bounty, but that's not Let's get we still got some of the show left. Yeah, we we got to hold off. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not shipping it out, the bounty only, and wrapping up with a bow and saying we're done. No, no we got stuff, we got to put work in. We got time. Look at that clock. There's, we got to talk more. We got to put some work into that yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, Which podcast? This podcast. This podcast. I want to, we're, we're going to do an adventure module. Okay. We've been talking about it for a bit. All right. We got our level one characters made. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly. And <laughs> let's talk about what these level one characters do. Do. Okay, let's let's let's. You've see. run Dawn of Defiance. I have partially. Yes, but three modules. Three modules, uh, and I read five. You read five, ran three. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, That's great. I had an idea. What's up? What is so we've got our we talked about our characters two episodes ago. Those level one characters. Yeah. Um, what does it take to build a module? So that's a great question. I've, I don't can't say I've actually like built a module like wholesale that can be like downloaded and shared and ran, but you've made your own, but I made counters and I've made a game Bible and I've, you know, ordered these things in a, in a logical order. You need less than you think because players do a lot of legwork and filling in the blanks and making the world come alive. What you need is a good skeleton bones, ribs, structural material, lattice, uh, scaffolding for sure. Concrete, <laughs> rebar, all those things used to build the the foundation of your campaign. So, I hate the tavern start, Sam. You do? I do. Yeah. It's like, okay, so but I'm... For, but for Donna, it's a, it's a promenade. It's a promenade start, Stephen. <laughs> and that's already better. I will say, that's literally already better. Like, Donna Defiance starts out, it's hammy as all shit, and it's fine, because that works. The characters are in a promenade. Hanging out, a strip mall, basically, yeah. on a space station, and a mysterious bleeding woman, woman, just one, runs up to them and says, help, I'm being chased. That's how Dawn Defiance starts. Hey, whatever works. Whatever right? works. Um, the tavern start, the cantina start, is old. It's fine. Like, if you, I use it when I can't think of anything else. For like, sure. Like, 100%. For sure. If you're through, do pick up game. Style yeah, throwing together like, a sag. Your players are in a can. Your, your characters are in a cantina. Who's sitting where? Okay, good. Uh, someone comes in. There's a problem. You got to fix it. A bounty hunter comes in, shooting up the place. What do you do? Like, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So those those are great starts in like a fantasy setting. Totally. But I feel like with Star Wars, usually the player's the one walking in. You yes. know, Mandalorian. Din John walks into a tavern. That's when the that's when it starts. It doesn't start out. He's there already. No. Just chilling out, having a fucking no. like Aragorn. You know, he's not Aragorn. I love how literally Aragorn is like moping in the darkest corner <laughs> of the tavern, like sopping wet with his hood on and like a little cup of beer. 
Like, that's literally how Aragorn starts. That's amazing. I, I think we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Sorry, yeah. I think I a like Aragorn. module... I do like Aragorn yeah. as well. Uh, a module needs a framework, as yes. we mentioned. What the year, the state of the, of the galaxy, mm-hmm. and maybe, like, a starting location... I, I I compiled some stuff. I had an idea for the title of our first little module. What is it? Dawn of the Dark Time. Oh, we are pushing on copyright infringement there. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of defiance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you changed one word. <laughs> and I changed one word into two words, buddy. Uh, you know what? I realized that just now that it was. I was like, oh, like, like, right, like. I don't know. Dawn was just a good. You word. didn't realize that you like wholesale ripped off Dawn of Defiance yeah. until now. No, I did not realize. Fantastic, folks, giving you the live on air reaction. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not dawn of the dark times i mean but be, i want the dark times in it you know yeah yeah um the the, the, the darkest times dawn of the dark times <laughs> fuck you it's funny twilight of the <laughs> there we go of twilight the of the dark wars <laughs> eclipsing of the empire something like that Ooh, you like that one i i that's actually sam the the last chapter of the um is it the Really? The last chapter of, of the campaign we ran a couple years ago was called Eclipse of the Empire. Because <laughs> you guys were dealing with the eclipse. It was. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. fair. Anyway, you have a couple ideas written down here for where we should go with this. You wrote down Depths of Coruscant. And let me tell you, Sam, I'm already at Half Chub. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, this is this is the location. This is yes. where your players start out. Yes. Take we all love Cyberpunk. Absolutely. We all love neon lights and dark, uh, gross alleyways filled with rats and, and the like. The Depths of Coruscant, level 1313, fantastic place to set the scene. And thinking about what time, the time frame of this campaign that we're, we're working on this module. Yeah. Our characters are Dark Times characters. Uh, the Tisa was your Jedi level Tila. one. Tila. Yeah. Tila was your Jedi level one. And she'd been working in a warehouse for a while. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, fall in order. 14 BBY. Five years since the fall of the Jedi Order. It's like where we see Ahsoka go when she flees from the Jedi Order. Or Cal Kestis is exactly. uh, working as a scrapper. I love that he works as a fucking scrapper. It's so, it's so great. Funny. I love it's that he has so like an great. older work friend that dies, but you know. Hey, well, it's an important part of the hero's journey. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, I also have for other location ideas. The ruins of a Clone Wars battle being salvaged by freelancers. Very good. Great. That's fantastic. Fall in order Plenty right of there. scrap to go around. Lots of opportunistic maybe ne'er-do-well people are going to be seeking that kind of yeah. employment. And also not necessarily scrappers, but no. just people doing shady things in shady areas. Or even maybe people who aren't necessarily up to bad things, like historians, catalogers, uh, archaeologists, even if you want to go a little, um, well, she's more of an archaeologist with air quotes, but if you wanted to play more of a Dr. Afra kind of There we go, yeah. Then that fits in well here, too. <laughs> That's great. Uh, a space station in the Outer Rim. Sells on station like yeah, the Don that sells on station. Don Any safe space station works as well. The common thread between these starts, Sam, is is these are areas where anything can happen. These are areas that attract a wide swath of people, much like your party, um, where that are generally out of the watchful eye of whatever the dominant authority in the galaxy happens to be at the time. Well, since you liked it so much, Stephen, let's go Defs of Coruscant, Great. level thirteen, thirteen. How's that sound? Can't go wrong with that. And it's it's. We're we're uh, avenging our fallen thirteen thirteen comrade. Uh, <laughs> man, uh, let's talk about the players. Yes, these players do they know each other already? What brought existing friendships or acquaintances together? And also, how do your player characters feel about the Empire? How do they? What do they know about the galaxy? Are Jedi real? Are Jedi um, traitors to the Empire? What these the- are the details that I talked about that players will color in. 
themselves. These these are not like strictly something you can write out in a module. You don't know what kind of party is going to be playing the module. Player relationships are amazing. The one time I played a character that had a pre-existing relationship with another player character, oh my god, I had so much fun. Quinston Screeth. Oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, ragtag scoundrel pair up, similar to Han and Chewie, but quite a bit more scrungly. Um, <laughs> like if Han and Chewie uh, soul were more successful and also more violent. Yeah, yeah, more violent, did more drugs, and were more financially <laughs> successful. Uh, Screeth was a Renat with a shotgun. Didn't he have a spice addiction, or am I crazy? Um... I think they both kind of like passively <laughs> did. I'm not really sure. I think they enjoyed you, yeah, you don't spice. Look, you don't look at Han Solo and Chewbacca and think those guys do spice, but you look they, at Screeth and, and Quince and you're like, those guys do spice. Yeah. There's like, there's like drugs and like manic episodes involved. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes. Pre-existing relationships can be a potent way to really kind of flesh out the relationships between um, characters. And I strongly recommend it. I don't really see it enough. It's kind of un- unheard of, mostly. Well, so we're talking about with our level one characters we're doing for this module, we're going to yes. have a noble and a soldier kind of pairing up together, something like that. Yeah. They had, we got to um, put it on the Patreon still. Yeah. They but were a... Um, no spoilers, baby. No spoilers. No spoilers. You want to check that out, you got to go on the Patreon. All right. Guess there we so. Go. The Will of the Force. Important element in Star Wars storytelling, whether or not your story is focused on the Force itself. You know... The, this is the, the puppet theater of the Force. The will of the Force is driving the galaxy towards a certain end. These events are playing out in this these is, characters' lives. This is Ahsoka meeting the Martez sisters. This Absolutely. is Han Solo meeting Chewbacca. It's, it, these are these are they're these events bringing these characters together. My favorite one we've talked about recently is the party witnessing the death of a Jedi at the hands of an Inquisitor. I can't get that story start out of my mind. I'm glad you said that because I I had a feeling this was what we were going to take for our little module here. We're just, you know, we're picking and choosing our favorite little fruit basket for this one. Uh, Exactly. But other examples I brought up, uh, we got, uh, do the, does the party get summoned by a criminal who has some leverage over them? Uh, Does a politician asking for their help to take on a job much bigger than all of them contact them? Yeah. That's going to be Bail Organa in Dawn of Defiance. Bail Organa is free to use for stories like this. He's that exact right level where... His whole deal in Star Wars storytelling is contacting groups of nobodies. <laughs> it's get, like he does it for fun. <laughs> seriously. Uh, to, to, he's, a, he's a recruiter, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I thought of that, Wojcik. <laughs> <laughs> the recruiter. The Bail Orguna. <laughs> oh, not the Bail Orguner. <laughs> oh. The Chad Bail Orguner. <laughs> Fucking Christ. Oh, that's funny. But that's yeah, Bailor is the perfect guy for that because he's actively reaching out to nobodies and losers to join the rebellion. That's kind of the will of the force that we're talking about here, the thread that connects them to the galaxy's greater destiny. So, for our example, you're the party has encountered a Jedi on the run from an Inquisitor. Yes. And in a last ditch effort, the Jedi passes them some sort of information and dies at the Inquisitor's hand. Yeah, maybe it's a lightsaber, maybe it's a holocron, maybe it's a data pad with some other relevant information on it. Now the party is on the run from this Inquisitor. Yep. And they either maybe the Jedi players revealed themselves as a force sensitive Jedi to the Inquisitor. Yeah. Puts a target on their heads. What's next? Well, what's next is well, what do they do? As if, I'm sure as players, they will have these sort of ideas of what they can do. But as a GM, you need to kind of think about Absolutely. what comes next for the party. When preparing for your module, preparing for your adventure, don't plan out 
one specific no, yeah, trail. You're not railroading. Yeah. You don't, don't want to railroad. Don't try to predict what the players are going to do because one, you can't. And two, consciously or unconsciously, you're going to railroad them if you do that at all. Some great advice that I think Sue gave me once was that only plan for when your party does nothing. Yes. Actions have consequences. Always. If the party decides not to leave world and they all go back to their jobs, then the Inquisitor is going to find them. Absolutely. Or the Empire is going to find them. Someone's going to find them and they're going to get fucked up. <laughs> it says right here in my notes, you guys are going to get fucked up. Yeah. I, listen, the module says that the party does nothing to get fucked up. So uh, we're going to read this out for you guys. Um, uh, I wrote, do they need to get off world? Do they need to get an object or a person to a location? Mm-hmm. Do they need to escape deeper into obscurity? Do they, need to, do they need to take on criminal jobs to get by? And, you know, Star Wars role-playing systems are kind of built on the back of especially that latter one. I had never played the the um, West End game Star Wars. The D6 system was popular before Swissy. But as far as I understand, the most satisfying gameplay loop in that system was forming a merry little smuggler band and doing criminal activity in the hey, outer It's room. great. It's yeah, fun. It's, it's super it's, good. It's perfect. That You can get a lot of mileage out of a concept like that. And people who are already outcasts, already in the Coruscant underground, already cast aside from society as a whole, are going to be more inclined to do things like that. Absolutely. We talked about how planning for the party to do nothing. I also like, these are level one uh, characters and players who have presumably never even played SAG Edition before, or maybe not even RPG before. Another thing you can do as a starting out GM doing a module like this is presenting options to the party. Like like what I just said. It's like, oh, I'm sure they might have ideas of what they want to do, it's going to present them options or tie in any of those options you've prepared for into their like idea. Let's talk about NPCs, Steven. The players need that, that keystone. That- Starting players. They're a bunch of kindergartners, you know, yes. if you leave them unsupervised, they become murder hobos and it's, it's only fun for maybe one or two of them. They need the, they need the Gandalf. Absolutely. They need Gandalf. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. The, the Ben Kenobi. Yeah. Come on. We need these, these characters. You know, th- this is a trope that some may find tiring after a while, but yeah. it's helpful for people who don't know what to do. They need the quest giver. They need someone to direct them along their journey. They need someone of at least slightly elevated stature, be a criminal under underlord, under some sort of underworld crime boss, Bail Organa again. Yeah. Maybe a quirky little droid that knows something it shouldn't. Anything. Totally. Absolutely. Or... Like we talked about, old Jedi has been hiding down on the desert planet. Yep. Uh, what is this NPC? Rebel spy, ex-Jedi, clone war veteran, maybe a crime lord who has the muscle to keep the PCs on the straight and narrow. Another thing to think about with NPCs using them in a campaign, how long-term are these NPCs? Exactly. For Dawn of Defiance, they have Maya. She's a, just some random rebel spy, like rebel spy who's yeah. trying to recruit people for Bail Organa. And now... I looked at her stat block. She's like CL2. Like yeah. she's. <laughs> yeah. I think she ends up shuttling the party around in a few places. I think she becomes like their, their ride until they get their own ship. So yeah, it's one of those things where yeah. she is definitely not planned out to be a, a long-term NPC. Absolutely. Not. At least not at the front line of the, of, of the player's job. Right? Precisely. Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode four, he's probably what CL 20 CL 17 or something. He's comparable with Vader, clearly. 100%. But he ultimately knows it is his destiny to perish there. Precisely. And when he dies, he imparts some very important wisdom. He doesn't just die for no reason. Yeah. 
Of course. Because that would be stupid. Really why would, stupid. <laughs> why would someone die for no reason like that? <laughs> it doesn't make for interesting storytelling, that's for sure. I think a lot of uh, storytellers try to kind of up the stakes of their story and inside RPGs and outside RPGs by seemingly indiscriminately killing characters left and right. That can be a good thing, but make sure there's a reason why someone has to die. Just because a character has to move off screen doesn't mean they have to die. I'm thinking, how about for our for our little module here? Mm-hmm. Let's bring in a character people like Dexter Jetster. He's a friend of the Jedi. Very good. He knows Obi. Obi Wan has a rapport with him that's been gathered up since he was a fucking pat, like a youngling, basically. And he has an interesting backstory of his own that that gives credence to his own experience. And he's a he is a character who immediately probably wouldn't believe the Jedi were traitors to the empire. Absolutely. And he has four arms. Think about what those four <laughs> arms are doing behind the empire's back. I, I like this. You like this? I like this. All right. So let's, let's think about what we have. We've got a party brought together by the death of a Jedi, the inquisitor, mm-hmm. the Jedi passes them information, leading them to their informant. Dexter. Dexter. Jester. That's good. And for your players who've maybe seen star Wars and not, not, super huge fans, they would recognize that character. Be like, whoa, that's Dexter Jetster or something like that. <laughs> well, that's what I say when I see Dexter Jetster. And then, and then the DM's like, oh, you know, he's the guy who's at the, the he's at the diner in Clone Wars. Guy the clones. That's Dexter Jetster. And the players are like, I don't know who that is, but whatever. And, you know, the- Bail Organa's on the same level of obscurity, I feel like. Oh, I agree. I, I completely, I think they have comparable screen time. Um, <laughs> But no, and and even if the players don't know Dexter Jester, they know Dexter Jester. He's a fatherly figure. He's a physical, homely, hilarious, Absolutely. a little mysterious. You know, he has he's come across a lot of information in his day, and it's not terribly clear how he has. Maybe he decides to house the party and tell that like. He's like, well, I don't know what happened with the Jedi being on the run, yeah. but here's what they were working on because I was housing them for a while. So you the the party had now has a uh, past Jedi's maybe notes, a data pad with information, something like that, Base or maybe a physical text. That's something interesting you could bring into your party because the Star Wars universe, we don't really see those very often. Very little handwritten notes in the Star Wars universe. So centering a campaign story around one could be, could be, be worthwhile. Something we see in uh, the comics, Luke Skywalker gets his hands on Obi-Wan's handwritten journal yeah. that he had on Tatooine. And yeah. it's, it's, it's cool. Cause it has, Stories about Jedi Masters and stuff like that. Maybe the party uses this notebook, this journal to track to track the Jedi steps. Absolutely. And see what happened, what they, maybe they discovered something that was crucial. For that level one Jedi, that little shitty bound book is going to be the closest thing they have to a Jedi Master until maybe the book leads them to something comparable. I like that. I yeah. like where this is going. Me this too. is great. See, I told you this would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> However, that was all just... That's that's good. That's the story. That's our framework. But yeah. what is this first session like? This module. I have an idea here. I wrote down. Where do you start? Combat encounters are the bread and butter of Star Wars. Draw your blasters, ignite your sabers, take on some worthless imp recruits or informants or some thugs. That's always fun. Of course, it's a good. Dawn of the Fine starts that way. You yep. help my shoot mooks. You shoot mooks. That's, that's what we're great. here to do. Uh, all, however, there are other things SAG Edition offers that might be comparable for a first encounter for players. Now, encounters aren't necessarily combat encounters. It could be a social encounter yeah. or in this, or what I mentioned, a skill challenge, something like that. I'm thinking for this adventure, maybe opening up with a hybrid chase slash there combat we go. encounter. They're escaping 
uh, in, the the Inquisitor and yeah. on her an Imperial Legion. They're cut off by some stormtroopers that they got to take out before they can advance. Absolutely, they're cornered. Maybe. Um, I only. I mean, skill challenges are neat for that reason. Yeah. However, it might be start off with a basic combat and then lead into a skill challenge of yes. getting away. Um, just because I think skill challenges are kind of. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? They're they're advanced. They're a little advanced. They require players to know the system well. Exactly. And you might not have that in your first session. They're a little advanced for basic TTRPG players who've never played yeah. a system like this before. Odds are that kind of player wants to roll a d20 and shoot some mooks. We've got our scene set, Stephen. We've got the party uh, encounters a Jedi on the run, gravely injured. Jedi passes a phrase to them or a piece of information that leads them to. Uh, after being cut down by an Inquisitor, yeah. the party fights some mooks, <laughs> escapes some mooks, yep. and they use the information the Jedi gave them in order to find Dexter Jetster, who is the NPC character who's going to lead them, at least for the first two, maybe two or three modules, yep. maybe, and first three to five sessions about. He's going to be a pretty crucial part of their plan. He's going to link them to the rest of the galaxy. And I think my favorite thing about these sort of... Um, modules is they usually have an opening crawl. So yes. if you want to check out what our opening crawl for this would be, you'll probably see it on the Patreon when we put out this module. hundred uh, percent. The opening crawl is crucial. Absolutely. There's a reason why most like published saga edition adventures have an opening crawl. The way I make one is I pull up one of the ones from the movie. Usually whichever is chronologically closest to the adventure <laughs> I'm running. I paste in my words. I change a few things around bingo. Um, it's that easy. You don't need to do it too hard. There's a great tool. You can find it sticky at the top of the Saga Edition subreddit that will take you to a website that will generate an opening crawl for you that looks Wait, really? really good. Oh, yeah, that's what I use the, the whole <laughs> that's time. That's so great. I didn't know yeah. it was sticky to the subreddit. Yeah, that's really yeah, funny. Yeah, a little literalist put it up with uh, his compilation of resources. It's there. That's so rad. Yeah. Well, then please check that out if you're looking to make an adventure for your players. Yep. But if you're interested in something more for level one, people who haven't played uh, a tabletop game before, you can check it out on our Patreon when it goes up there. Absolutely. That was really fun, Steven. It was a good time. I like speculating and thinking about storytelling. Ah, it's great. It's the closest thing we can get to actually DMing at any one point in time. <laughs> <laughs> For you, maybe. For me, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about our bounty, Steven. Yes. It's done. It's done. The Empire, the clock's taken. Vader's tapped his watch, and he's told me it's done. That we're, We got to turn this guy in. Uh, who won? <laughs> let's see here. Sam, it was Boulder, the sneaky, monstrous, almost werewolf-like CT him. killer. I love him. Um, Guy who, who <laughs> takes out imps in two shots and then steals their code cylinders and eats them. I'm, I'm just imagining the scene <laughs> of him, like, crawling the rocky cliff on some exactly remote Imperial right? outpost and then just, like, grabbing a stormtrooper by his ankle and tossing him off. Very, um... Very Jedi Knight. Yeah. Very Jedi Jedi Outcast game yeah, kind he of would, style. He would have absolutely uh, been clutch at Endor. Yeah, Sadly, 100%. the Empire caught him before then. <laughs> Congratulations, Ben, on submitting Boulder. Uh, you led the pack with two votes. Everyone else got one. It was one. really close. It was damn it close. It was insanely this was close. The closest, um, uh, the closest poll we've had thus far. That uh, just means you guys are getting way better at these bounties, and it's really cool Absolutely. To uh, thanks to everyone who reached out. We will be doing another build showcase, so please keep an eye out for that. I want to see builds from people who haven't submitted one yet. Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong. Even, you know, someone who I know people who haven't played SAG Edition yeah. and like building characters. Yeah. This this show is ultimately it's a community show, 
it's to get these ideas out there. Yeah, I've if you've never it, made a build before for a contest like this, if you've never submitted anything like this, I'd love to see it. Please get it out to us. Absolutely. We, we want to see it. We want to feature it. We Keep will. an eye out for our next bounty. It's going to be in a couple weeks. Uh, but also, we still take any other submissions. If you have any cool builds that you like or any cool concepts you want us to expand on, yes. send them our way. Show us what you're excited about. Yeah. The Dark Times is produced and edited by me, Sam. Steven is my co-host. Uh, you can reach out to us at the email, darktimesswse at gmail.com or on Twitter at darktimesswse. Steven, do you have a quote for us? It's over, Sam. I have the high ground. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's not... That's, you, you've abridged it a little uh, bit by adding my it. name fuck, instead of... Fuck, My new podcast. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Good night! My new podcast. Your new podcast. (laughs) Anakin, my allegiance to the community, to democracy. Don't don't put that in. Brutal. (laughs) I won't put that in. Either don't put it in or don't put or put in me telling you to not put it in. Does that make sense? You take a lot of artistic liberties with this podcast that I don't think you should have the power to take. (laughs) Put that at the end of the show. Yeah. (laughs) Holy fuck.